Welcome from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association to Volume 41, Number 2 of Grapevine. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me this week is our newsreader, Desney, who, as usual, also takes a look at next week's telly and gives us an article from the EDP entitled What Got You Through the First Lockdown? The headlines this week include news of the area's COVID numbers and, sadly, the statistics for the deaths in our local hospital. Plus, a warning about scams surrounding the virus vaccination programme and a long-serving barber celebrates 50 years cutting hair in the same street and a Hopton drugs dealer gets his justified comeuppance. As usual, though, we start with the first part of the news. Hello, this is Desney. I'm pleased to be back with you after probably a more subdued Christmas and New Year than most of us are used to. I think we're all glad to see the back of 2020 and I want to wish you all a happier and healthier 2021. And with news of vaccines, there's a good possibility that we could come out of this by the end of the year. And we start with news of the latest COVID figures, which show just a slight fall in numbers in most parts of Norfolk. The areas of Norfolk where COVID cases are now falling. Parts of Norfolk and Waveney have seen falling numbers of confirmed coronavirus cases the latest figures have revealed. Public Health England figures show the number of COVID cases in Great Yarmouth, Kings Lynn and West Norfolk, North Norfolk and South Norfolk were lower in the week up to January the 9th compared to the previous seven days. And as local authorities recorded reduced rates on January the 9th compared to the previous day. The number of confirmed positive cases in Norfolk as a whole was 4,436 in the seven days up to January the 9th, down slightly from 4,576 from the previous week. However, some areas saw greater reductions. Great Yarmouth saw a 10% reduction, with 556.7 cases per 100,000 in the week up to January the 9th, down from 619.1 the previous week. South Norfolk saw a 28% reduction. In North Norfolk, there was a 9% fall, while Kingsland and West Norfolk recorded a 7% drop. The falling rates are the first seen since the festive period when every area of Norfolk and Waveney saw new record high numbers of confirmed cases in the seven days up to New Year's Eve. However, Norwich, Breckland and Broadland are continuing to see either increasing and continuing high rates. Cases in Norwich rose by 23% over the seven days. Breckland was up 7% on the previous week, while in Broadland the rate was only fractionally up on the previous week. National figures show a further 1,564 people had died within 28 days of testing positive for COVID-19 as of Wednesday, the highest number of UK deaths reported on a single day since the outbreak began. In Norfolk, 55 deaths were announced by the three hospitals, although 37 were at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Kings Lynn, where a delay in reporting figures meant some of the deaths reported on Wednesday dated back to December. Exploiting Hope Warning over criminal coronavirus vaccine scams Criminals are exploiting people's hopes around a coronavirus vaccine to try to con them out of money or personal details, watchdogs have warned. Coinciding with the start of the COVID-19 vaccination programme, there has been a spate of reports in Norfolk of scammers trying to trick people through telephone calls, emails and text messages. 
and officers at Norfolk Trading Standards have urged people not to be taken in by the scams and to help spread the message about them. The latest warning is over a fake text message purporting to be from the NHS offering the COVID-19 vaccine. The link on the message takes people to a fake website where the scammers ask for personal and financial details. Stephen Maunder from Norfolk County Council's Trading Standards Department said criminals will always very quickly latch on to the big story and coronavirus is the biggest story we have had for a long time. They will always use what's going on to give their attempts to trick people some legitimacy. They know that people have hope over the coronavirus vaccine and the majority of the population are waiting to get it. So they want to exploit that and they hope that will lead to people letting their guard down. Mr Maunder said, as well as the text, people have been sent emails and had telephone calls about vaccines. Mr Maunder said cold callers are even spoofing local numbers to try to trick people and make their efforts more plausible. He said they're trying to get personal details and financial information. Some of them are saying that they need bank details so they can arrange the vaccination and recharge it to the National Health Service or to prove somebody's identity. The NHS would never do that and the vaccination is free at the point of entry. People are urged to look very carefully at email addresses and for spelling mistakes which are often telltale signs of scams. Mr Maunder also urged people to talk to other people about the scams to help spread awareness of them. Scam texts can be forwarded to 7726, while scam phone calls and emails can also be reported via 0808 So remember, never give details if you're asked to pay for an NHS vaccine. Coastal car park closes to deter visitors as police hand out five fixed penalty notices. A coastal car park at Horsey Beach has been closed in a bid to deter visitors from far-flung places with five people fined in the last week for breaching lockdown regulations to see the seals. Horsey Beach is a major seasonal attraction due to large numbers of grey seals and their pups which populate the coastline from November to January. But Norfolk Police, in conjunction with North Norfolk District Council and the car park's owners, Robin Buxton, have decided to close the site and access road in an effort to keep visitors local. Police said in the last week, five people from Hertfordshire, Northamptonshire and Essex received fixed penalty notices for travelling to Horsey Gap. A spokesperson said, following discussions with local officers and the environmental health team at North Norfolk District Council, Horsey Estates, which operates the car park, has agreed to close it. Robin Buxton said he recognised we all have a part to play in keeping people safe and that he was happy to close the site to deter people from visiting. Toby Gosden, sergeant at the local Safer Neighbourhood team, said the move was necessary to protect the people of Norfolk. People are required to stay at home and only leave for a reasonable excuse under the current lockdown measures, he said, adding that this area has attracted a number of visitors, including local residents and people who live outside the county. All parties reached the collective decision that this was the right course of action to take to deter visitors 
and to protect the people of Norfolk. A spokesperson for North Norfolk District Council echoed this sentiment. The council supports the joint decision to close the car park at Horsey Gap. Government guidance is that during the period of lockdown, travelling is strictly limited to essential purposes and all exercises should be taken within your locality. Following reports of visitors travelling from counties outside the district, and with rates of COVID-19 rising in North Norfolk, the council supports the action to help keep residents safe. On Friday, police fined a man and woman in their 50s for travelling nearly 130 miles to see the seals at Horsey, with police stepping up patrols over the weekend to catch anyone travelling from afar to see the now 2,000 strong seal colony. Care home confirms outbreak of coronavirus. A care home is dealing with a Covid outbreak with affected residents being kept in isolation. Borough House Care Home in Borough Castle has confirmed some residents and staff have tested positive and are displaying symptoms. Manager Joseph Greiner said We've been in regular contact with relatives and families to provide information and reassurance that we are following advice of specialists in caring for our residents and staff at this difficult time. We would like to offer our assurance that the safety of our residents, staff and the community are our top priority and we are doing all we can to manage the situation. He added that staff were under a lot of duress and that it was a tough time for everybody at the moment. A Norfolk County Council spokesperson said it was working with Borough House to provide testing and support following the outbreak. They said infection control nurses are supporting the home and we are continuing to provide advice to help minimise the risk of the virus spreading further. Venue bosses predict April return at earliest for gigs and shows. With Norfolk's theatres and music venues currently closed, those working hard behind the scenes have revealed when they think they will be able to welcome audiences back. As the nation was plunged into another lockdown at the start of January, performances scheduled for early 2021 were either cancelled or postponed. While there is currently no reopening date for venues to aim for, largely dependent on the success of the coronavirus vaccine rollout, the general consensus of those working in the arts is April at the earliest. Jack Jay, whose family have run the Hippodrome Circus in Great Yarmouth since 1979, said, Our next production is our pirate show at Easter. Our main focus is to reopen for it, but it is very difficult planning an event if the current lockdown works. The hospitality industry and theatres are always first to close and last to reopen. Despite the uncertainty ahead, the Jay family are staying positive and currently working on casting following the success of the socially distanced summer and Christmas shows. Elsewhere, Debbie Thompson, theatre director of Sheringham Little Theatre and St George's Theatre in Great Yarmouth, is hoping for an April or May return. Both venues temporarily reopened at Christmas for a socially distanced pantomime of Rapunzel. And it was also live streamed to schools and watched by 200,000 pupils across the UK. Mrs Thompson said, It was depressing to have to close after such a high from the panto. But there is good news. As we have been given permission for a husband and wife theatre company to rehearse a show about lockdown life, 
so that it's ready to go at both venues. Easter fair cancelled again as Covid threat continues. The town's historic Easter fair has been cancelled for the second year in a row due to the coronavirus pandemic. The festival, a centuries-old tradition taking place over four days in Great Yarmouth's marketplace, would normally see thousands of people gather in the town centre to enjoy the rides and attractions. Carl Smith, the council leader, said, Great Yarmouth Borough Council is giving the public early notice that the Easter Fair will not take place again this year as part of the national cause to support public safety, protect the NHS and save lives in response to the continued COVID threat. We know that residents and visitors will fully understand that this is unavoidable, especially during a national lockdown and with our NHS and other public services under significant pressure. Mr Smith added that public safety is the top priority and it is not possible to even contemplate organising a large social event during a national lockdown and with social distancing likely to be part of daily life for some time to come. As the situation develops over the coming months, the Council will monitor the situation with respect to any larger scale events that would normally take place in the boroughs later on in the year and make discussions based on the government advice in place at the time. It is more critical than ever that we all continue to play our part by following the lockdown rules consistently to help control infections and minimise hospital admissions to protect ourselves, protect others and protect Great Yarmouth, he said. Swimming pool could have to shut after mystery complaint. A swimming pool may be forced to close unless retrospective planning permission is granted to allow it to open to the public. Jack's Pool in Sherry Lane, Browston books out time slots to small groups who enjoy exclusive use of the facility as well as hosting clubs and vulnerable adults. According to planning documents submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council, this has been the case going back some years but without permission for a change of use from domestic to public. A spokesperson for the applicant, Pat Plumley, said the stressful saga had gone on for at least 18 months. She said the planning error emerged after a mystery person complained to Great Yarmouth Borough Council about there being too much traffic. We thought that everything was as it should be, she added. As soon as we were made aware of the problem, we put the wheels in motion to make it right. We had planning for the pool. It was just the change of use. Our fate is in their hands. If they do not grant it, Jack's pool will be no more. And that would be a shame. The spokesperson added, the pool was used by groups of vulnerable adults, swim schools and clubs, as well as the general public, and had been for over 10 years. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, a private domestic swimming pool is a different planning use class to a pool which is hired out for public use. In this case, the applicant was initially invited to regularise the planning use of the pool as a public pool by applying for a certificate of lawful use. However, they were subsequently unable to provide sufficient evidence that the pool had been used consistently by the public for the required 10 years. As a result, they have been invited to follow the alternative route of submitting a retrospective planning application for express consent. This is currently under statutory consultation and will be determined on its individual merits in line with planning policy. The applicant's agent said it had been a frustrating process and that he hoped everyone would see sense. The pool's Facebook page was set up in May 2016 
and has over 3,200 followers. It is currently closed under coronavirus restrictions. What got you through lockdown first time around? Well, here's an article from Nick Richards on that very subject, writing in the EDP at the weekend. You can't blame people for either looking back or looking forward while enduring lockdown, looking back to when times were good and looking forward when life is normal once again. We've gone back to our old hobbies and taken up new ones to help us cope. But it's not been all about baking sourdough bread and learning how to use Zoom. Personally, I've been seeking any ways I can to get my children off the TV or their devices and found a renewed interest in board games. Jigsaws has helped, especially tabletop football games like Sibutio. Sibutio has been around since 1946 and was huge in the 60s and 70s. I had a brief spell being obsessed by it as a nine-year-old before computer games took over in the mid-1980s. It's great getting back into it, and my boys have had a go and like it too. I've been buying a few teams online and even treated myself to a new pitch. The first new Sabutio thing I'd purchased in 30 years. It's great seeing them play something from before their generation and great for their dad to relive an old hobby from the past. But enough about me. What's the one thing that's got other people in Norfolk through lockdown? John Elson, the EDP weekend cartoonist, says, I just draw cartoons. While others have put themselves in harm's way, working unselfishly, I spent most of 2020 in my home, drawing pictures. I contracted COVID-19 in March last year. I didn't become ill enough to be hospitalised, but nine months later, my lungs still haven't fully recovered. However, being able to draw and paint has carried me through other difficult times in life. I can't imagine not being able to do art, and it's helped again during this uniquely terrible year. Fortunately, commissions have come regularly, as well as new opportunities, which have made me adapt my method, switching to drawing digitally and learning new skills, such as attending online conferences and annotating them with illustrations. I'm optimistic for 2021 and deeply thankful to those who stayed in the workplace, enabling me to do what I like doing, just drawing cartoons. Duncan Baker, the MP for North Norfolk, says, I'm lucky enough to live in the heart of North Norfolk, right between Sheringham and Cromer, so I'm blessed with the coast and plenty of woodland to go for walks in with my young family. I recall particularly from March until June, during the first lockdown, being just so lucky to go for family walks through the woods to get a little respite before carrying on with helping people. It got my family through. I also started jogging to clear my mind, slowly and badly. My summer tour was the first time I could really get out and see constituents all over North Norfolk. It was just brilliant to talk to so many residents about how they were coping and getting through such a difficult time. They seemed as pleased to see me as I was to see them. Keith Skipper, writer and broadcaster. I'd like to complain it was nothing more than good old-fashioned Norfolk cussedness in the face of adversity that carried me through two lockdowns and prepared me for a stirring hat-trick. But that would be lying, cruel deception, to deny exciting, hidden qualities of which I might have been ashamed in a highly dubious past. 
Not only did I find a regular path to our kitchen for the first time in about 25 years, I occasionally stayed long enough to find out how my meals are lovingly prepared. Not only did I eat them with extra relish, I returned to the kitchen and pretended to enjoy washing up sessions. I now have my own dishcloth. Not only did I discover a legitimate excuse to watch Nigella Lawson, I could join the cookbook set after getting a beard trim. Look out for Skip's lockdown lunches with a brand new recipe for Chroma crabs in samphire sauce. Rachel Moore, another EDP journalist, says, The simplest human movement putting one foot in front of another and striding out was my survival secret for head and body through 2020. Luckily, just before lockdown, I'd taken an introduction to Nordic walking course with Norfolk Nordic Walking and achieved my technique passport. Like cross-country skiing without the skis, delivering a brilliant body workout by walking briskly with poles, not to be confused with trekking. I wanted a sport to take me into my older years, get fit and be social and outside. It was a saviour, exploring the countryside, purposefully swinging those poles, cleared my head, released exercise endorphins and gave a feeling of achievement, often clocking up more than 24,000 steps a day. Phew. Once lockdown was lifted, group walks resumed, opening a new social circle with spectacular views guaranteed. I often wonder how I would have got through 2020 without walking and early morning, pre-work, evening and Saturday walks shaping my week. I'm gutted that Tier 4 has halted all those January walks booked, but at least I can stride out solo or with one of my friends inspired to take it up too. And Norman Lamb, former Norfolk MP, says... I'd just started a new role as chair of a London Mental Health Trust when we were plunged into the first lockdown. Doing everything virtually was quite challenging, but I recognised that I was fortunate to have something to engage my brain. I was anxious to avoid spending all day in front of a screen, getting no exercise. So I committed to cycling most days. I have a nine and a half mile circuit. Being admittedly a bit competitive by nature, I kept trying to improve my time. I was determined to be fitter by the end of lockdown than at the beginning and to lose some weight. That exercise helped me sleep better, which we know is also important for our mental health. Getting out in the fresh air felt liberating. I realised how much in my years in Parliament I'd failed to notice nature all around me. I loved watching new growth through the spring, including an amazing bluebell wood I cycled past each day and in our garden. These are the things that kept me going along, along with spending more time with Mary than at any point in our 36 years of marriage. The Right Reverend Graham Usher Bishop of Norwich said, The thing that I'm rather surprised to have enjoyed during lockdown has been completing jigsaws. I've often had one on the go. I've enjoyed completing maps of Norfolk and Norwich, both historical and modern, learning street names and spotting things I enjoy the, this most after a long day of various Zoom calls. My eyes can focus on something other than a screen and I find that for spells of time, my mind goes into neutral. I'm stilled. It becomes prayer-filled. I review the day, recalling the people I've spoken to and the challenges worked on, and place the unfinished business in God's hands. Thanks, Disney. No time to rest, though, as the second part of the news beckons. Local hospitals' coronavirus death toll reaches 200. A 
According to the latest figures released by Public Health England, 200 people have now died within a month of a positive coronavirus test at Galston's James Paget University Hospital. The most recent figures show three people died on January the 9th, one on January the 10th and two on January the 11th, bringing the total to 200. A statement on the hospital's website said the latest six people to die having tested positive for COVID-19 were a man in his 50s, a woman in her 60s and four people in their 80s, two women and two men, all had underlying health conditions. The statement added, their families have been informed and our thoughts and condolences are with them at this difficult time. The figure is the lowest in the county's three main hospitals, with 248 deaths at the Norfolk and Norwich Hospital and 203 at the Queen Elizabeth in Kings Lynn. As of January the 5th, 88 beds at the JPUH were occupied by COVID patients, with 288 taken up by non-COVID admissions. At the time, 30 beds were empty. Holiday Park drug dealer ordered to pay back £25,000. Daniel Gould was jailed for four years and eight months in September after he admitted offences linked to the supply of cocaine, MDMA and ketamine from a caravan at Hopton Holiday Village. Norwich Crown Court heard a police swoop found £7,500 worth of cocaine, £1,200 worth of ecstasy and ketamine worth £8,500 at the caravan where he was staying. A total of £19,430 was also found hidden in a converted DJ booth. On January the 4th, 2021, the same court ordered the 33-year-old, formerly of Derby Road Beckles, to pay back £24,983.06 in criminal earnings and assets. The order followed an investigation by the Eastern Region Special Operations Unit, ERSOU, under the Proceeds of Crime Act, POCA, and requires him to replace the amount within three months or face an extra 30 months in jail. If he doesn't pay, he would still be required to pay the outstanding sum. Financial Investigation Manager Andy Gould from ERSOU's Financial Investigation Team said, This case once more demonstrates that working alongside our colleagues in Norfolk Constabulary, we will use POCA powers at every opportunity to stop the assets of those who seek to benefit from illicit activities. Drug dealing has far-reaching consequences throughout society and our specialist financial investigators continue to work tirelessly to ensure those involved do not profit from their actions even if they've already been jailed. At the time of his conviction, Judge Andrew Shaw said it was an aggressive, aggravating feature that he had used a holiday park visited by families as a base to drug deal. He said the amount of drugs and cash recovered by police showed the substantial level he was dealing It was said in mitigation an injury meant Gould had had to give up his job and so had turned to drug dealing as a way of getting cash, although Judge Shaw said there were plenty of other solutions available. Anyone with concerns about drug dealing should phone 101 or Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. Man found guilty of fly-tipping a sofa in Great Yarmouth. A man has been fined for fly-tipping a sofa in a passageway in Great Yarmouth. 
Mark McCullum, 51, of Barrack Road, dumped the settee from his vehicle in the Churchill Road, Arundel Road passageway on June the 17th, 2019. A witness reported the incident to the council, including a photograph of the abandoned couch and vehicle. Environmental rangers from Great Yarmouth Borough Council prosecuted Mr McCullum after he failed to pay a fixed penalty notice. Mr McCullum recently pleaded not guilty at the town's magistrate's court. However, he was found guilty, given a 12-month conditional discharge and ordered to pay a £21 victim surcharge and costs of £625. Penny Carpenter, chairman of the Environmental Committee, said The ongoing problem of fly-tipping we experience in the borough means fly-tipping is one of the main complaints to the Environmental Ranger team. Whilst targeted patrols are carried out, the rangers cannot be everywhere at once. Therefore, they rely on other evidence, including public tip-offs, as we saw in this case, to help target the right individuals. All approaches will be treated in confidence. The quickest way to report is to download the Report ITGY app, or you can call 01493 846478 Truly a credit to our profession Nurse honoured with prestigious award An inspirational community nurse has received national recognition for her work to improve the care of patients in Great Yarmouth and Waveney East Coast Community Healthcare ECCH nurse Jane Jode was presented with a Chief Nursing Officer's Award after being hailed as a credit to her profession. The ECCH Tissue Viability Specialist nurse was awarded the accolade for her work to improve the care of patients who have skin tears and pressure ulcers in care homes in Yarmouth and Waveney. With the award given to nurses who make major contributions to their profession, providing excellent care, leadership and inspiration to their colleagues and patients. Mrs Jode has led her team of assistant practitioners to design a new skin tear care pathway. Having been used to training staff in local care homes to correctly diagnose and dress skin tears in residents, it has led to a significant reduction in skin tears and improved healing rates. With the pathway now being introduced in 90 care homes in Great Yarmouth and Waveney, there are plans in the future for the pathway to be rolled out across all residential homes in the Norfolk and Waveney area. Alongside this initiative, Mrs Jode has been commended for her work to improve pressure ulcer care, which has seen prevention and treatment training extended across all ECCH's clinical teams and local residential, nursing home and domiciliary care staff. Mrs Jode was presented with the award by Chief Nursing Officer for England, Ruth May, in a virtual ceremony in front of her ECCH colleagues. Ruth May said, It is my absolute honour to award Jane a Chief Nursing Officer's Award. And I want to say a personal thank you to you, Jane, for the work you have done. The leadership you have shown, the support you have given and the legacy you will leave. She truly is a credit to our profession. Speaking of her success, Mrs Jode said, I'm incredibly humbled to accept this award. I couldn't have achieved this without the support of my team. They've been brilliant. Especially in delivering the skin tear and prevention of pressure ulcer training in care homes. Villagers' fury at prospect of horse grazing land 
becoming 150 homes. Furious villagers are hoping to halt a disgusting bid to convert equestrian grazing land into 150 homes with a petition reaching nearly 350 signatures and dozens of objections flooding the council's planning portal. Greenvolt Development Limited, GVD, wants to build the homes at the Highfield Equestrian Centre on Newport Road in Hemsby, 50% of which will be affordable. In GVD's planning statement, uploaded to Great Yarmouth Borough Council's portal, the applicant says the site will comprise high-quality homes with private gardens and lots of green space, as well as water drainage systems, an infiltration basin to deal with flooding, and new vehicle access from Yarmouth Road. Villagers, however, remain unconvinced, and a petition to stop the Highfield development in Hemsby has reached 340 signatures. Started by George Waterman, Vice-Chair of the Hemsby Village Plan Steering Group, the petition says 150 new homes on top of the 190 already being built at the Pontin site would put huge pressure on already struggling services and infrastructure. During the consultation period, the bid received 35 objections from both villagers and the parish council, which called the plans an overdevelopment of an unspoilt part of Hemsby, where nearby properties enjoy tranquillity and view of the fields and horses grazing. Council Chairman Keith Kiriakou, meanwhile, said the application was frankly disgusting. Norfolk County Council, NCC, expressed concerns that Hemsby Village Primary School was already oversubscribed, while NCC's Environmental Services and Natural Environment team objected over flood risk and the loss of mineral resources. One neighbour in their objection letter said, We are a village, not a town, while another said, they do not want housing estates upon housing estate bleeding into one suburb of Great Yarmouth. Issues about the lack of job opportunities in the village were also a recurring theme. Others bemoaned the fact that they are still on dentist waiting lists after moving to the village years ago and that horses would lose their home if the fields were destroyed. A GVD spokesperson said the application for 150 much-needed new homes represents a sustainable and high-quality scheme which will deliver 50% affordable housing, 75 homes for residents and will provide appropriate financial contributions towards improvements in local infrastructure and services. GVD are currently working with the local planning authority to address comments made on the scheme and will continue to liaise closely with residents. More news in just a while. Firstly, though, Desney takes her pick of what's on the telly during this coming week. Now, here's a little look at some of the TV programmes on during the coming week. Sunday night seems to be a very good night. Anyone who's missing Strictly Come Dancing can now watch Dancing on Ice, which is on ITV on Sunday the 17th of January from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock. There's just half the stars will be skating this week. They include Denise Van Outen, Jason Donovan and Joe Warren Plant, who is on Emmerdale. Also, I'm not sure whether she's on this week or whether she's one of the six that has to wait till next week, but the local lass on, and that's Mylene Class, who of course was brought up in Boston. After that, on BBC, David Attenborough has one of his 
wonderful documentaries called A Perfect Planet. It's already started. It's about the third episode, I think. It's another of his stunning documentaries, which this time examines what makes the Earth a perfect place for life. It looks at the influential natural forces such as the sun, the weather, oceans, humans and volcanoes. While on ITV, if you like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Jeremy Paxman, that's on at the same time. So you have to make a choice there. And on ITV at nine o'clock on Sunday is a new drama called Finding Alice. Alice is played by Keely Hawes. You may know her from the Durrells as Mrs. Durrell or from Bodyguard. But in this, she stars as Alice, a woman whose life is turned upside down when her husband is found dead at the bottom of the stairs in the property they've just moved into that he designed. Unfortunately, it seems that he's left a trail of debts and secrets and suspicion to be uncovered in the next few episodes. It's supposed to have a lot of black humour in it. She doesn't find herself in a very happy position. But the fact that she lives in a house designed by her husband, who has just been found dead, causes her a few problems. A lot of the things are voice activated. There are disguised doorways. And the stairs that he fell down is apparently a fancy floating design. Well, she can't even find the fridge. Maybe voice controlled? She doesn't know. She didn't live there long enough to find out all these things. She doesn't even know how to flush the loo. So it should be interesting. On Thursday is a programme for anybody who likes, enjoys the chase. The Chasers Road Trip. Trains, brains and automobiles. They're testing their intellect against brain boxes around the world. So this is the first in a new series too. And the chasers concerned are Mark Labette, the beast, Anne Hegarty, the governess, and Sean Wallace, the dark destroyer. So if you enjoy the chase, you might enjoy watching them on their travels, see how they get on, on a journey of that sort. I'd also like to remind you, as before Christmas, we talked about the 40th anniversary, 40th birthday of Grapevine, that that actually happens this Saturday. Saturday, the 16th of January, Grapevine is 40 years old. So I want to send love and thanks to all the listeners and all the volunteers on Grapevine in the Grapevine family who have made it all possible. Neither of them could do it on their own. We need you to listen to us and you need us to read to you. So I think together we should celebrate the 40 years. Take a deep breath, Desney, as we're on the home straight with the third part of the news. Man arrested after assault leaves victim in serious condition. A man in his 40s was rushed to hospital with serious injuries after an early morning assault in the town centre. Police were called to South Market Road at 7.45am on Friday, January the 8th, amid reports of an assault. On arrival, they found a man in his 40s with serious injuries. He was taken to the James Paget University Hospital, where he remains in a serious condition. Officers have arrested a man, also in his 40s, from the Great Yarmouth area, in connection with the attack. According to Norfolk Constabulary, he has been taken to Great Yarmouth Police Investigation Centre for questioning. A spokesperson said, While inquiries are ongoing, officers do believe the man arrested and the victim are known to one another. An absolute privilege. Barber reflects on 60 years beyond the fringe. All around him, Young barbers in their 20s are opening up, but Philip Jones 
always makes a point of dropping by and introducing himself. After 60 years trading in the same street in Great Yarmouth, he wishes them the same level of enjoyment, satisfaction and success the job has given him. He jokes that with him getting long in the tooth, they can have his clients soon, but he has no intention of giving up just yet. He loves it all too much. The chat, the camaraderie, the clients he regards as friends. Mr Jones has met people from all over the world, mingled with the stars and got up close and personal to many of the movers and shakers that make his town tick. He's not bothered whether a dustman or a surgeon is next to sit in his barber's chair. He's always up for a chat in his unassuming shop, where many of his clients have become friends. The 75-year-old has been cutting hair in Deanside for 60 years this month, and up to five generations of loyal clients are testimony to his service. PJs, in common with every other hairdresser, is closed under the coronavirus lockdown. People have told me amazing stories from the wars. They weren't boasting. It wasn't like that. They just wanted to tell me because we got on. In the old days, it was like a private members club. Some people would come in every week and have the same appointment at the same time and the same people before and after them would be there and everyone got to know each other. Mr Jones started just along the street at the barber shop above Janie's Pets. There he was an apprentice for five years with an extra one for improving and is proud to be one of the last apprentices to register with the Royal College of Barbers and Surgeons before it abandoned the barbers. Helping to hone speed and accuracy was a contract with the East Anglian School for the Deaf and Blind in Galston where he and his boss, Brian Burrell, would sometimes see 100 heads in a day in a conveyor belt of cutting. Seeing the children, some still in nappies, file in, the sighted leading the blind, was a poignant scene that has always stayed with him. They were lovely boys and they looked after each other so well. It was a real band of brothers. The contract came to an end in the 70s, when longer hair came into fashion, helping them to hide their hearing aids. Having served under Mr Burrell, he went on to manage the shop before setting up on his own further up the road where he still is and has been since 1980. Being so close to the old ABC theatre meant all the stars of the day would come in for a tidy up, including Ken Dodd, Harry Seacombe, The Shadows, the Bachelors and Lonnie Donegan. During the oil and gas boom of the 1960s, he had many wealthy clients, which meant invites to swish parties, including a first ever barbecue, something so exotic in Yarmouth at the time that he and girlfriend Jane, now his wife of 50 years, were mesmerised, saying they had never seen anything like it. The Americans, he said, were generous hosts and came from a culture where the barber had status in the way a doctor or bank manager did in the UK, some bringing their families to pose for photographs with him. However, the stores that really stick with him are the ones from the wars. One customer was a Spitfire pilot who used to buzz over his mother's roof on his way home to let her know he was safe. Another had bailed out of a Blenheim over Berlin. Meanwhile, an early submarine commander had been the first to capture a German submarine after a battle where not a single shot hit target. But he received no recognition because it was said he risked his craft and should have been concentrating on bringing in supplies. His oldest customer was 104 and he did his hair at home until he died. His longest travelled was one chap who would get three buses from Aldborough in Suffolk and a hospital doctor who moved to Australia but would always come back to PJs when he returned 
and didn't have a haircut on the other side of the world for five years. Today some things were the same and some were different. Others were the same again, a short back and sides becoming a fade in modern parlance. If you live long enough, things come around twice, he said. Here's to another 60 years. Building could deteriorate if changes of use are refused. A listed building on Camperdown could deteriorate if a bid to turn holiday lets into residential flats is refused, according to the property's owners. The proposal, submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council, would see the change of use of the house in Camperdown, a tree-lined street near the seafront. In a document supporting the bid, the applicants state they often rent to single men as the property's flats are cheap yet comfortable. We've had many men live here in the throes of divorce who simply want a small, quiet, warm place to rest at the end of the day, the owners say. If we were refused and had to revert back to holiday lets, we fear the building would deteriorate, compromising the very heritage character we wish to preserve. Allowing the property to be used daily as residential flats would ensure the survival of the building, as the owners are able to keep it in a good state of repair, they state. According to the planning application, the appearance, layout and scale of the building built in the 1800s would not change in any way. The applicant states that all kitchens have been upgraded in the last 18 months. A decision is due by January the 25th. Group supporting cancer sufferers marks anniversary in style. A support group that provides a helping hand for those diagnosed with cancer has celebrated its fifth anniversary. The charity, which was established to address the needs of anyone whose family or friends are cancer sufferers, has offered a helping hand to men and women of all ages to help them cope with their diagnosis. Can Survive has been supporting cancer patients in Great Yarmouth and Waveney over the years and they marked the fifth anniversary by treating its members to a special box full of goodies recently. Can Service was launched in 2015 by friends in Lowestoft with the group run by Emma Tills, Joe Paulett, Vicky Penning and Lindsay Coleman. Covering the catchment area of James Paget Hospital in Waveney and Great Yarmouth. The fifth anniversary of the Can Survive took place last March and this was our last face-to-face -face meeting before lockdown. We've been having meetings online every month since then and we had planned an afternoon tea at Lowestoft College which sadly had to be cancelled. So in lieu of that we decided to give everyone a gift of a treat box full of goodies including a takeaway afternoon tea. The group had been given National Lottery funding and as they had been unable to meet up with members in person, they decided to purchase them a festive gift. We had some National Lottery funding and we wanted to spend it on the members before 2020 ended, Vicky Penning added. Joe Paulett said, after a tough year, Emma, Vicky, Lindsay and I were keen to purchase members a Christmas gift. In total, 80 gifts were distributed. The gifts featured a Christmas tree decoration, which was kindly personalised by Emma Schilling at Stitching Magpie, along with a sausage roll, a mince pie, a Christmas cake, a chocolate bomb, three festive biscuits and a tea bag to make tea. Vicky Penning said, Number 142 Cake and Bar in Alton Broad did all the bakes and the Christmas tree decorations, each personalised with Can Survive 2020, were made by Emma Schilling. We've really tried to support local businesses. Lindsay Coleman said, Being able to see our members face to face, albeit briefly and at intervals, as they collected their gifts, 
was the first thing we've been able to do since lockdown and was really great. Busy King Street and Deanside both to shut from 7am to 7pm this weekend for resurfacing. Both streets will be out of action this weekend as resurfacing work costing nearly £103,000 are due to take place. The works will begin on King Street and Deanside on Saturday, January the 16th and, weather permitting, is planned to last two days. The plan is to resurface the road between the Regent Road and Alexandra Road junctions. Work is being carried out during the day in order to minimise noise to nearby residents, Norfolk County Council said, and the roads will need to be closed to through traffic from 7am to 7pm on both days. They said access to businesses and properties would be maintained at all times. A north to south diversion will be in place along Alexandra Road, while a south to north diversion will extend from St Peter's Road onto Nelson Road Central, St Nicholas Road, Temple Road and then out onto Regent Road. Well, that's all we have for you for the second 2021 edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Andrew, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for more of your local news. In the meantime, from all of us here at Grapevine, stay well and safe, and bye for now.